Christian Wade is the running back, and he gets the carry here for the Bills. And look at Wade go! What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Monday to you. I've got to start this show by saying thank you. Last week was the most listened to week in podcast history on Locked On Bills, and so I'm very, very thankful for all of your listenership and all your subscriptions and reviews and ratings. Uh, It was a busy week, and uh, that is just a sign of things to come for what I hope the rest of the season. Thanks for joining me along on this journey. It's been one heck of a ride since January. Today, we are going to recap some of the news that happened over the weekend. Brandon Bean was a busy guy uh, with some trades, signed players, cut guys, released some, put some on IR. So we're going to touch on that, and then we're going to get into a 53-man roster projection after Week one of the preseason, it'll be a good opportunity for us to kind of evaluate the roster heading into an important week where there's joint practices with the Panthers on Tuesday and Thursday and, of course, the game on Friday night. And so it'll be fun for us to kind of just get on the same page in terms of where we're seeing this roster going into a very important week for the football team. I'm not alone. This was too important of a podcast to do. And quite honestly, I was struggling to get this 53-man roster projection, so I wanted to have another person here to bounce ideas off and compare our projections. And I have with me Greg Thompson. You guys know him from Twitter. He is at Greg Thompson. That's two T's on the end of Thompson. And, of course, the co-host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast, along with Aaron Quinn. Greg, welcome. How you doing? Doing great, man. It's, it's exciting to be able to get here. We actually got to see real football on, on a on a real field with with scoring and and the whole deal. It was exciting. It felt like uh, football is actually back. Man, it did, and it was fun. And the Bills won the game. And there's a lot of really good takeaways. And I it's it's fun because this roster discussion that we're going to have is going to be a good opportunity to kind of just navigate through a very high level conversation about where this team is coming out of that game and obviously heading into the week with Carolina. I'll tell you what, Brandon Bean did not take the weekend off. He was wheeling and dealing, and we've got some stuff to react to here that uh, came through uh, between podcasts over the weekend. So the first thing was a trade, right? Eli Harold, the Bills' defensive end, was sent to the Eagles for offensive tackle Ryan Bates. Bates, a UDFA out of Penn State. You can check out my scouting report on him. I tweeted it out, but you can go to thedraftnetwork.com and search Ryan Bates, and you'll find that report. I thought he was a mid, mid-round mid or mid-day three type guy, really like his mobility, like his physicality, but I thought he had questionable length. And so for a guy that is, is coming in to potentially be a swing tackle, a guy that can play right or left tackle, I thought he was better suited to play on the interior. Now, look, the Bills are just trying to shore up that depth, obviously, with uh, Cody Ford primarily moving to guard, Waddle out for the year with the uh, with the quad uh, tear and, and Connor McDermott's in concussion protocol. Uh, the Bills needed some bodies here at offensive tackle, and they went with the guy that probably caught their eye in the scouting circuit, a Penn State offensive tackle, Ryan Bates. Any reaction there, Greg? Um, you know, I think it's hard to put a lot of stock in here. This one really boiled down to me that they traded one player who's not eligible for practice squad for a player who is eligible for practice mm-hmm. squad. So, you know, it gives them a little bit of versatility, especially, you know, we're going to get into it with the defensive line. I was pretty high on Harold at one point of maybe being able to carve out a role of 15, 20% of snaps purely as a, a pass rusher. But when you see other guys, 
guys passing by. Uh, this was simply, you know, bringing in a guy who might have a shot versus a guy who looked like he no longer had a shot. So I thought it was pretty straightforward. I don't expect it to be hugely impactful, but at least a little something. Yeah, certainly maybe some of the players we're going to talk about in the 53-man roster projection made Harrell a little bit expendable. So we'll get into that here in just a minute. Uh, let's talk about some of the players the Bills let go before the ones they brought in. On injured reserve is cornerback EJ Gaines. The grain, the groin, excuse me, injury has uh, has put him behind, and, and he'll start the season on IR. And if the Bills are going to have him as part of the mix, it'll have to be after Week Six. And so uh, it's interesting that EJ Gaines, certainly a really good football player whenever he's able to be healthy. But the story of his career has been injury after injury. Also on injured reserve is Robert Thomas, a defensive tackle. The Bills cut uh, Vlad Dukas, 51-game starter in the NFL, started a bit for the Bills over the last few seasons. But he was a favorite of Juan Castillo. And when Juan Castillo was fired as offensive line coach, I'm actually kind of surprised Dukas lasted as long as he did. And the Bills also released Nico Saragusa, an offensive lineman they brought in uh, for a brief period of time. And uh, obviously, they did not see him as a potential rosterable players. Greg, anything here on the, on the guys that are unlikely to be in the mix this season for the Bills? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, EJ Gaines is injured. Cue the sad trombone. Wah, wah. <laughs> you know, it just, it, I, I, it was fantastic to see him in person at training camp. The talent is undeniable. It's just the, the man's not cut out to hold up for an NFL season any longer. So um, if it works out that they're able to reach an injury settlement and he gets to where he can work out on his own and then his potential to be brought back. I know that a lot of us seem to kind of learn for the first time exactly how the semantics of the IR designated to return works and that that's only if you make the initial 53 and then you're eligible to come back. So now if they leave him on IR, I believe he's for sure out for the whole year. If between now and the 53 man roster, they reach an injury settlement release. They he's eligible to sign with any other team immediately or could resign with the bills. Like you said, after week six. So I don't mind the idea of having him inserting a guy of his caliber late in the season, because as we'll get into, we have some other guys at corner with an injury history. I don't mind having that, but um, certainly it was disappointing to find out that it was already, you know, pulled out from under him there. And then Vlad Ducas was obviously expected coming in. Uh, he was, you know, basically injury insurance, like just in case something happened, I guess we'll keep him around because he's better than a off the street UDFA. But, um, you know, I'm glad to see them give him a shot to catch on somewhere else. Um, wouldn't shock me to see him sign on with the team somewhere and catch that 52nd, 53rd spot with some roster. It just wasn't going to be here. Yeah, I definitely just kind of, we're going to get into the players, the bills brought in here in just a minute here, but this is the time to tinker, right? I mean, Brandon Bean, we've only got a few more weeks left of being able to carry 90 guys. And so really making sure you're getting a as complete of an overview of guys that you can evaluate to be part of the mix. It makes sense for the Bills at this point to have some uh, have a lot of movement there with the bottom five of the roster to make sure that you're you're making sure there's no stones unturned when it comes to finding the best players uh, for this football team in 2019. The Bills brought in some players, obviously, with so many players now on IR, released or cut. And one thing that's interesting as I work through these names is these are some known guys in the NFL. I, they're not just uh, you know guys that have played a season or are you know, UDFA type players. 
These are some guys that have been on teams for a long time. Defensive end, Sam Acho. He's entering his ninth year. He's played in 102 games with 57 starts. Uh, obviously, his most known for his time with the Bears. He also was with uh, the Cardinals for a bit. Cornerback Captain Munnerlyn comes in. He's entering his 11th season. He's played in 154 games with 85 starts. Of course, the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott connection from uh, from Carolina. Defensive tackle Roderick Young. Now, this is a rookie UDFA who started off with Jacksonville, but he was placed on injured reserve. He started over 40 games in college. He's a very athletic uh, defensive tackle, but the production wasn't really there for him at North Texas, so he gets a chance here with the Bills going into week two of the preseason. And then lastly, an offensive lineman, Demetrius Rainey. He's entering his third season in the league. He spent his first two years with the Rams. He actually played in 32 games with one start across two seasons with the Rams. He bounced around between the Jaguars and Redskins. Uh, then he was in the AAF with the Memphis Express and most recently with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So we've got some new Buffalo Bills. And interestingly enough, Sam Acho, Captain Marlin, very experienced guys, uh, and really guys that are known for their their character and their their leadership. And so uh, it seems like maybe Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott still searching for those types of players, at least th- at least at this point in, in setting the roster for the 2019 season. Yeah, I, I thought it was really encouraging. And I, the reason that I like that is that it, Brandon Bean is not taking a day off. This isn't a mail it in. Hey, get me a camp body to fill a spot here. And, and granted, in fairness, maybe that's what Rainey and Young are. You know, I don't know that they have a legitimate shot to make an impact here, but they easily could have done that with another camp body DN and corner just to come in and hey, we're going to need to have some physical practices down here in Carolina. We got three more preseason games. We need somebody to just get us through. So these are guys that I don't. Again, we'll get into the projection. I don't know that I. Project them outright making the roster today, but they're going to push people. They're going to make people have to earn the spot that's there. This is a, a signing that I guarantee you um, Lafayette Pitts paid attention to. I guarantee you mm-hmm. Mike, Lo- Mike Love paid attention to. Um, so these kind of signings are encouraging to know that Bean isn't mailing it in like, hey, if we have a chance to improve our roster, even just the slightest incremental improvement at the 53rd guy, I'm going to take that chance. And then you touched on it. Um, I, I know a little more about Sam Acho. I actually followed him outside of here. Um, one of the most eloquent, intelligent players I've ever experienced in the NFL. Really well-spoken, a really thoughtful, intelligent guy. Um, I love having a presence like that in the locker room that if our worst case scenario is that's a guy that a Daryl Johnson and a Mike love can, you know, attach their hip to for four weeks here before we let them go on, on cut down day. That's good enough for me. That's the kind of man that I want to have in this locker room uh, that our guys are going to learn from. So I was encouraged by that. And I always look to see when you're talking about, Hey, who was brought in here? You know, captain Marlin just walked away from uh two years into a four year, $17.5 million deal. So he made 9.5 million the last two years. Sam Acho made 3 million last year. So I think those are examples of two guys who were maybe holding out for the right situation, not just because, Oh, nobody wanted them. I have a feeling they were kind of waiting for the right window to open up here and seeing some movement in trading Eli Harold and IR for EJ Gaines. They were able to mm-hmm. make that connection that, Hey, I have a legit shot at the 53. I don't think they signed on just to you know pal around for four weeks here yeah there's no question and this is a football team that has relied on really young players uh, over Sean McDermott's first couple seasons with the team and so you know maybe an opportunity here to to add some experience to the roster and uh obviously there's there's no uh 
there's no substitution for game reps, and these guys certainly bring that to the table. Uh, before we get into the 53-man roster protection, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this just isn't for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and stripped straight straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, I've got a deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and I thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Greg and I will be right back after this to talk about the roster projection. All right, Greg, let's get into it. Let's get to this offense. We'll start with quarterback. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll kind of just alternate on who goes first. We'll list our guys and, and and let the takes fly, man. I think quarterback's probably the easiest one. Josh Allen, Mark ba- Matt Barkley, and I don't have Tyree J- Jackson making this roster. I think we saw the discomfort uh, last week against the Colts. And the, the fact is that the third quarterback is going to take away too much from other positions on this roster that need more numbers and other football players that are deserving to be part of this mix. I think you take your chances with Tyree Jackson on the, on the practice squad and you roll with Allen and Barkley. No, I agree completely. I think it's actually one of the easiest, simplest ones that we have. Maybe this and defensive tackle, I think are the cleanest ones on the roster. So, uh, Allen, number one, Barkley, number two, Tyree as QB three, but on the practice squad, I, I think you could write it in stone. All right. Running back. You got the lead on this one. All right. I I think this one's getting a little bit cleaner. I had a stretch here where I was trying to squeeze in six players total. Um, I'm counting Patrick DeMarco as part of the group. Um, So I have LaShawn McCoy. I have Frank Gore. I have Devin Singletary. Everyone's going to lock those in. I have Patrick DeMarco that I think regardless of how many people tweet us asking if there's a way (laughs) to cut him that the man is on the roster. He is a lock. I'm going with Sonoris Perry. I think that this game really locked that in. You saw TJ Yeldon give up a fumble. You saw Perry come in, and uh, you made a great uh, point on the last show about Lafayette Pitts. And I think Sonoris Perry is is very similar, that if you combine his special teams maven prowess as that kind of primary guy and then some legitimate capability to be running back four, I, I think that's really tough to beat. And right now, even if in a vacuum, I would say that TJ Yeldon is a better running back than Sonoris Perry. He's not so much better that it makes up for the, you know, outstanding special teams contribution Perry makes. So right now I have it as McCoy, Gore, Singletary, Perry, DeMarco, and then TJ Yeldon being cut, Uh, Marcus Murphy being cut. And then I know it was, you know, the man's average in 65 yards per carry, (laughs) uh, but I, I do have Christian Wade taking advantage of that exemption. I think it's a great story, but probably a little more story than substance yeah i mean with wade i think it's almost his worst enemy is that that free extra practice squad spot that the bills get for having him um but i mean really just him being part of the mix for the year is going to be great for him and we'll see if he's an option for 2020 i've got the same five i think you've got 
four locks in Gore, McCoy, Singletary, and DeMarco. Yes, I'm talking about DeMarco as a lock. And then it comes comes down to who's that fourth guy. And to me, it's Perry. And I, I've talked about TJ Yeldon as a replacement level running back. Um, and that doesn't mean that he is a bad football player. He's a good football player. But I think you can always find a player like TJ Yeldon. But Cinerars Perry, just a special team's ability. You saw him. He, he was he was really active early in the in the Colts game, uh, covering kicks and punts. And then he, he can catch the football, which is something I wasn't necessarily aware of. And you know, obviously he's a good athlete. So he can he can really fill in, you know, if you need a guy to carry the ball as that fourth running back. Um, and look, they brought him in here for teams, and and TJ Yeldon's never played a, a rep of special teams in his NFL career at four seasons. And so I think that's what's going to make the difference there uh, with RB five. Agreed. Tight end. This is tricky, man, because they're all hurt. <laughs> and um, I, I'm going with the idea that Tyler Croft is going to be. He's going to. He's going to have to somehow not count to the 53, whether that's PUP or IR, designate return, something like that, because I just don't know how to get – I don't know how I can justify four guys. So I have Dawson Knox, come back soon, brother, Lee Smith, Tommy Sweeney, and then I'm not dismissing Tyler Croft, but there will be a way that he won't count against the active roster in week one. I think you're spot on, although it's kind of funny. Um, I guess I'm finding room for five then. Uh, I have the same thing. I have Tyler Croft on the pup. I have him uh, assuming that he's going to be close to ready. I'd hate to see him where they think it's two weeks out and they want to let him sit and just not be on the active 46, but taking up a 53-man roster spot short of him being activated really soon and getting to see him in action on practice. So I, I agree there. I assume that we're going to be without him for a little bit. Obviously, Dawson Knox and Lee Smith are both locks. Um, they're going to be part of this roster. I think it's very likely that Tommy Sweeney's going to be that guy over Jason Kroom. But in one of the next position groups we're going to get into and some of the movement we've had and who I think is more likely to end up on the practice squad, I actually made room for both Tommy Sweeney and Jason Kroom. Uh, Kroom and Sweeney are both eligible for practice squad, so I don't think it's out of the question. Uh, but I think with the, the things they're trying to move around, the limitations, they have in Lee Smith, the lack of experience from Knox and Sweeney. I actually have it projected now that we keep four and that when we get ready to bring Knox back, that's when you could see Kroon potentially released going into week seven. And one small outside element is last year, Jason Kroon did play the fourth most special team snaps on the roster. Mm -hmm. So he has a little bit of versatility there to try to carve out a role um, as one of the better receiving uh, threats from a tight end standpoint, knowing the playbook a little more than Dawson Knox and maybe having some initial early season uh, contribution before Croft comes back. So do you have, how many do you actually have making the 53 active 53 week one for Dawson Knox, Lee Smith, Tommy Sweeney, and Jason crew. That's going to make it tricky in other spots. I'm anxious. I think this is where the similarities are going to stop here. <laughs> We're going to start getting a little bit different. Cause this, is I like fun. it. I like it. Uh, Cause just a, one little guy different. It just affects the balance, right? I mean, you and I both, talked in the pre-show we tinkered with these things for a long I, time i had at least eight different iterations of this before <laughs> we came on the show tonight i'm glad you're going first at wide receiver man because <sighs> this is tough 
Well, it, it's not that tough to start. Um, nope. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll guarantee we have the first five the same. So yep. obviously John Brown, Robert Foster, Zay Jones, Cole Beasley, Andre Roberts, they're all locks. Um, honestly, I think myself, Andre Roberts has been more involved and a pleasant surprise on the offensive side of the ball besides just a, a return man. So that's been a, a pleasant bonus. I've changed the name in this sixth wide receiver spot. And I even toyed at one point when I had TJ Yeldon making it as a sixth overall running back, I toyed with only having five receivers at one point. I think the performance that we've seen from both Ray Ray McLeod and Isaiah McKenzie have pushed that to where I, I now obviously had TJ Yeldon being cut and I did have Ray Ray McLeod up until the last couple of days, but then you saw the performance in the last preseason game. And then you saw him getting first team reps today. I switched it within the past couple hours to Isaiah McKenzie. So I have John Brown, Robert Foster, Zay Jones, Cole Beasley, Andre Roberts and Isaiah McKenzie. And my final tiebreaker for McKenzie is that I think he has the capability to be the backup for both Cole Beasley and Andre Roberts, whether that be from the gadget guy that Roberts is the slot guy that Beasley is um, the return man that Roberts is. I think he fills a couple of those different blanks and I have him as the sixth receiver and close to that 53rd man. All right. I have six receivers as well. The first five are obvious Brown, Beasley, Foster, Jones, Roberts. And then I debated this next guy all day and we're going to be different here. And I recognize Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, he, he, his ball skills that he showed on those couple of catches, like, what was that, man? He, he was looking good. Um, but I'm going with Ray Ray McLeod as this is being predictive. The reason I'm going with McLeod over McKenzie, and I think you have great reasoning and as to why you're going with McKenzie, there's, there's two primary reasons for me to, to side with McLeod at this point. First of all, they have raved about what he's done this offseason. And I know that Sean McDermott really wants to send the right messages to the locker room. And, and for a guy that's done everything they've asked him to do in terms of the exit interviews and, and really has drawn very positive reviews, I think that's really going to matter. But number two, that he was a draft pick by this regime. And right, wrong, or indifferent, you know that teams cling to those draft picks. And Isaiah McKenzie wasn't a draft pick. So there's probably more intrigue to me when it comes to McKenzie because I think he's a better athlete. And I think they have similar, similar overall utilizations in terms of their optimum usage, but McKenzie's a better athlete. I have questions about both in terms of ball handling, but I'm, I'm clinging to, in my prediction, the fact that he was a draft pick being the reason I'm going with McLeod over McKenzie. I, I agree. I, I think you're spot on. And if we're honest, I probably have it like 46 percent uh, <laughs> McKenzie, 45 percent Ray Ray, and then a, maybe a nine percent chance that Cam Phillips weasels his way in there. Because um, I, I will say he's been one of the most surprising guys here. I do have Cam Phillips making the the practice squad mm-hmm. over the every fan favorite David Sills and Duke Williams. I, I think that the. <laughs> that Cam Phillips is getting a ton of run. He plays special teams. He does everything they ask for. Um, And that was a guy that I don't know that he realistically has a path here to the 53, uh, but it's a guy that if we hit the wrong combination of injuries, seems like the kind of guy they might trust, they might trust coming in week nine to have to fill in for someone that's there. So um, I think it's interesting. I do think that it looks like it's going to be a coin flip between Ray Ray and McKenzie. And I think some of these game performances might matter. Yeah. 
All right, offensive line. I've got nine of them. I wish these guys were healthy. That would help this uh, just yeah. be an easier discussion, but they're just not. I've got nine offensive linemen. I have Dawkins, Feliciano, Ford, Long, Spain, Teller, McDermott, Morse, and Secchi. I think Teller really played well against the Colts, and there was that edge that I saw at Virginia Tech. The, the reason I liked him so much coming out, I saw the Virginia Tech version of Wyatt Teller uh, on Thursday night last week. And that was very, very encouraging. And as a draft pick and a guy that I don't think they're going to be able to put on a practice squad and not get plucked off just because of, you know, teams are hungry for depth at offensive line. And they would love to have a guy like Wyatt Teller who got starting experience last year, had a good career at Virginia Tech and is having a good preseason so far. I just feel like the Bills are going to be forced to keep him on the roster the Connor McDermott thing's really challenging for me, Greg. Like, this guy's been rostered for a couple seasons now. Like, if he can't be the swing tackle, then why has he been rostered? And, and so I know that he's got the concussion, and that that complicates things. But I think I believe more in McDermott than I do in Ryan Bates, a UDFA, who I think the Bills could get away with putting him on the, on the practice squad, as you mentioned in, in, the, uh, in the, the first segment. So I've got nine, Dawkins, Feliciano, Ford, Long, Spain, Teller, McDermott, Morse, Inseki, and obviously I wouldn't always want to keep nine. This would be a position where you'd like to keep eight, but the injuries have been significant already and it's friggin' middle of August. So I think the bills need to go heavy and make sure that they, uh, they protect themselves in terms of the investments they made to get this offensive line right and not mess around with not having enough depth. I think you're spot on. And I, I think that the first eight names there are were in lock solid is that I think everyone's going to project Dawkins, Spain, Morris, Ford and Secchi, then Long and Feliciano. I think some have toyed with Teller, but I think you're right. I think Teller's a lot closer to a lock than many people think. I think those eight are no matter what are going to make it in my mind. It really came down to me in almost a kind of game theory idea that of what you know, Joe Shane and and Dan Morgan are going to be talking about with Bean of, hey, this ninth guy we're talking about isn't going to be on the 46. He's only going to be in the 53. He's not going to dress on game day. And I almost treated, you know, Connor McDermott, Ryan Bates, Ike Botger as the same idea as Tyree Jackson. Tyree Jackson is quarterback three. He's just mm-hmm. doing it from the practice squad. And I have those guys being the ninth, 10th, 11th offensive lineman. I actually had three offensive linemen on my practice squad of Ike Botger, Ryan Bates, and Connor McDermott all being there in that, hey, we can call them up if need be, but we have the flexibility. When you have versatility of guys like Inseki who can flip to both sides mid-game, Cody Ford, who can flip between right guard and right tackle, same game. Feliciano can play all three in the middle. Wyatt Teller can play left or right guard. Spencer Long can play all three in the middle. I think that allows you to get away with eight on game day. And then if an injury happens, you're going to take care of that the next week when a guy comes up, but almost any combination short of something disastrous, three or four guys getting hurt in the same game. Um, I just don't think that it's necessary. And I've, that's actually where it came in that I had Kroom on the practice squad and, and McDermott on the roster. I actually think I had Ryan Bates cause they traded for him. Um, but I was looking at that and I'm like, do I really value Ryan Bates or Connor McDermott as a better NFL player than Jason Kroom. And I don't. So I switched that in that mindset. And I think that's the kind of, 
kind of lottery they're going to be playing there, getting down to, hey, who can we afford? Very similar to how Robert Foster made this roster last year where they're trying to debate, hey, who can we afford to sneak onto the practice squad versus who we don't think we can afford to expose? And I I guessed that I thought it's more likely a team would claim Jason Kroom than would claim Botker, McDermott, or Bates. So you have eight with McDermott on the practice squad. I do. I do. Look, I thought that's a scenario I tinkered with in my mind a ton uh, before coming on this podcast with you today. Man, I just there's something that I really hate about number one, Cody Ford bouncing between guard and tackle, and whether or not sure. I hate it or not is <laughs> different from reality in terms of what you know will actually happen. But just think about this: if Deion Dawkins gets hurt, you have three positions that yeah. have to change on your offensive line because one guy got hurt. You know, that would put Inseki over to left. That would put Ford over to right tackle. And then whoever the primary backup at guard is goes to guard. And man, that just, oh, I don't vibe with that at all. No, I, I think you're right. And I hope to God that, that isn't right. what happens. Right. Um, I think the challenge is going to be no matter what, even if that's a hold your nose kind of decision, there still is no scenario where the stability of keeping Ford at guard is better or is worse than putting in Connor McDermott. Even if it's not great, even if that's not the scenario we want, Cody Ford switching out to tackle mid game is better than Connor McDermott coming into the game. So I, I would always rather kick out Ford and bring in Feliciano and long versus feel good about the fact that, Oh, don't worry. We're giving, um, our, you know, highly valuable second round pick Cody Ford, more stability and consistency sticking him at guard. But then you're choosing to put Connor McDermott in the game over John Feliciano or Spencer long. And I just, regardless of whether that's actually in the best interest of Ford long-term, I just don't see them doing that mainly because Josh Allen's health is more important than Cody Ford's development. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about defense, I want to tell you guys about Locked On Fantasy Football. Fantasy football players, make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else. Then you're the same. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Greg and I will be right back to talk about defense. All right, Greg, time for defense. The best unit on the team, maybe. Let's talk about defensive end. This is uh, a position that got interesting to me, especially after that first Colts game where Daryl Johnson really, he really showed up. And long, athletic, bendy pass rushers, you don't put them on the practice squad and expect them to stay there. And so I think that he showed enough flashes in that game alone for me to believe that he's got to be part of the 53. And so I've got... Trent Murphy and Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson and Daryl Johnson and Mike Love. And I know that this is going heavy, but I think the Bills are going to want to get after the quarterback this year and make sure they have a deep pool of rushers to do it. Now, I know this is really challenging because you, you think about Sam Acho and you want to put him on, on the mic in, you know, on this on this list. But I feel like there's been so much positive buzz around Mike Love that. I'm not ready to do that yet, but I, I do reserve the right to change my mind here in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, you know, obviously Murphy, Shaq, and Hughes are absolute locks. You get into that area where is there going to be a fifth guy? Who's going to be the fourth guy? And I was joking about it on Twitter, but 
a guy who's six, six two fifty with the short area quickness and the first step that Daryl Johnson has, that's GM catnip. You cannot possibly expose that frame and the, the flashes of film he's already put out there to waivers. So I, I'm going to say that there is no possibility that Daryl Johnson doesn't make this 53 with what he's shown already, whether that turns into him being active on the 46 on game day, we'll see through the rest of the way. But I think that he, unfortunately, a guy that I was kind of always penciling in as being able to hide on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. I think he's shown too much. Yeah. Um, I, I had this was where I waffled back and forth, and I ended up going heavy at another spot that we'll get to in a minute. Um, I ended up going Mike Love on the practice squad, and it hurts me because I think the man has earned it. I think just like you said with Ray Ray, I think he took every single thing in the exit interview, took it to heart. He put in the work, and I will completely and totally respect it if that's the guy that McDermott and and Leslie Frazier and and Tierlink want to reward and show the locker room that, hey, this is what matters, and he's going to make that 53rd spot. And maybe he carves out a little role somewhere here in special teams that makes it worthwhile. But right now he seems like a guy to me that you probably could hide on the, you know, if you're, we're rolling mm-hmm. the dice the same way we said, Daryl Johnson, and I have to roll the dice that somebody's going to make it to wait through waivers and make the practice squad. I'm going to pick Mike love um, Sam Macho. I've known about him for 12 hours here with the roster. I don't see a path for him to get there, but like you said, I'm open to seeing that change over the next couple of days. That's a good point there on love. And, and actually it's, it's kind of like the reverse of it's, it's what I've talked about with the other spots is the draft pick and tell her, and McLeod making the roster, and, and maybe I should have subscribed to my own theories there. Um, and look, and I know you also can think about Lorenzo Alexander as really a fifth defensive end in a lot of ways. So uh, keeping more than four is hard. Um, and look, I, I said this was hard from the beginning. What it is isn't it hard, though, is defensive tackle, right, Greg? Easiest one on the roster. Uh, Oliver, Star Latule, Jordan Phillips, Harrison Phillips. I'd be surprised if you have anything different. But I will note, and I feel like I'm still the only person talking about this, for Harrison Phillips to be playing deep into the fourth quarter in week one of the preseason, I still I, I that made me at least raise an eyebrow because your fourth defensive tackle is an you know is an active guy on game day, and I just didn't expect to see him playing so late into the game. I, you're you're spot on. I did. I read someone speculate. I don't remember. It might have been Joe B. I, I was one of the guys on the beat speculated that there was a couple injuries on the defensive line and that when he was playing late, it was getting him some reps at three tech versus one oh, tech. So yeah. that there may have been some strategy to it beyond just the kind of how negative that can look. Um, but I will say there was another part of training camp where they were doing their 46 man drill rotation where the only uh, corners were the guys who were going to be in the game. The only safety was Kurt Coleman. The only um, defensive end at that point was Mike Love. And every all the other position guys were over on another field doing individual work. And when they were in that set, they only had three defensive tackles. And Harrison Phillips was over on the other field. Mm-hmm. And I think you brought up a name there. When you have a defensive end like Shaq Lawson who can kick into three tech on third and long and a linebacker like Lorenzo Alexander who can kick into three tech on third and long, I think think there are games where depending on who they're playing, uh, they may play around with the idea of only three defensive tackles on the 46 on game day. Um, so I do think that he's, uh, he's a third round pick. He's a good, good locker room presence. He had good value last year. I don't know that he's ever going to be a superstar. So I don't think there's any possibility. He doesn't make the roster, but he's probably maybe a little lower in the pecking order than some fans think. 
All right, Craig, you take the honors here on linebacker. Oh, okay. So as I <laughs> as I hinted earlier, we had to go heavy somewhere. I leaned here because of the possibility that so many of these guys have on special teams. Um, so I ended up the three easy ones: Lorenzo, Tremaine, Matt Milano. Those guys are locks. Um, I think that. Julian Stanford being the only guy who can legitimately play middle linebacker makes him pretty indispensable. Voshan Joseph is a, a fifth round pick. And I will say until seeing his performance in the preseason game, I was toying with the idea if he was possible to sneak onto the practice squad. Uh, but I think you could see maybe he's a little more of a gamer than he is a practice player. Um, and, and you know, that happens sometimes, especially for a young guy who maybe hasn't been the most disciplined on film um, as he's going to getting used to that. So I do have Voshan Joseph, Corey Thompson. We've talked about multiple times at both of our shows in that he's the first guy in, he was the guy starting for Lorenzo Alexander when he gets a veteran day off. He's on the first unit of every special teams unit. And another guy who's on the first unit of every special teams unit is Maurice Alexander. So I actually went with seven linebackers. Um, I have Zoe, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Corey Thompson, and Voshan Joseph, Mo Alexander on the outside, and Julian Stanford. Um, and I went with all seven, especially with Mo Alexander's versatility to also play some of those three safety or big nickel looks uh, to be a versatile backup on the safety standpoint as well. Something weird is going to be coming from you in the secondary. I, I, I just feel it based <laughs> on, on the way the numbers are shaking out for you. I, I sweated linebackers all day trying to figure this thing out. I went with six and I don't feel great about it, but this is what I'm going with right now. Obviously, the top three, Edmonds, Alexander, Lorenzo Alexander, and Matt Milano. Then I have three backups. Mo Alexander, look, I, like you said there, it's all the special teams that he plays. They love his versatility, and uh, I think that he was one of those hand-picked guys for Heath Farewell and special teams. Corey Thompson, he's the primary backup, uh, like you already mentioned. I have Voshan Joseph making the football team. I think that he showed too much in that game. In addition to him being a draft pick, I think that he's got a course to making the roster. The guy that, you know, obviously the the surprise here is that I have Julian Stan- Stanford not making the, the, the group here. And I don't feel good about that because even you said in your analysis that he's really the the one true backup Mike linebacker behind Tremaine, uh, Tremaine Edmonds. And, I don't feel good about that, but there's a part of me that thinks maybe Corey Thompson can do that. Um, but this is where things get really, really tricky for me. And um, I, I saw too much versatility or young upside in other players that it made me, it forced me to to go with only six linebackers. And I, I went with Stanford as the guy out. And I, I'll be honest, I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And those are the kind of difficult decisions we're going to see here. And, it, and it, it's going to come down to, we'll have this come up again at corner and safety. Um, who has that tiebreaker on special teams? And in my mind, th- this is very similar. In our two scenarios here, our front seven, uh, we differed only on Julian Stanford and Mike Love. And it's going to be, is Mike Love's ability to contribute as a pass rusher and special teams going to be more than Julian Stanford's special teams and a little bit of a backup linebacker. And those are the tough decisions that being and his team are going to make. All right, Greg, it's time for cornerback. I'll, uh, I would see, I did defensive and a defensive tackle first, so I'll give you linebacker and corner first. Okay. Uh, so obviously there's some easy ones here. Trey, Levi Wallace, Taron Johnson. Um, I think with EJ Gaines going out, the versatility and experience of Kevin Johnson makes him a, a virtual lock. Um, then you get into, I, I'm going to count Saran Neal there because apparently they've formally 
shifted him from safety to nickel corner. So um, the same idea, this comes up again and it'll come up when we get to safeties, you know, Mo Alexander can chip in at safety. Saran Neal can chip in at safety. So I have those five and I actually have a sixth guy. I have Lafayette Pitts making it um, as this comment we made for Sonoris Perry. If you know, Lafayette Pitts can flash a handful of times from scrimmage, you know, getting his hand in there to break up a play. I, I, I noted three positive plays where I noticed him during the game, getting in there to, to break up a ball. And then we know that they love him. He played the most special team snaps on the entire roster last year. Um, when you have that kind of potential from a special team standpoint, and then can at least hold your own as a, you know, break glass in case of emergency corner, then I think you give yourself a shot. So I actually have six corners, which I think is heavy. But I'm also counting that as kind of five and a half because Saran Neal can obviously play safety since that's what he's mainly been. Um, But I went with six, even though it does put us a little heavy there. How much thought did you give to Captain Monterland? It's the same idea as Acho. I I think that that's he is right there with Lafayette Pitts. And if Captain Monterland's locker room presence, knowledge of the system, and obviously I'd say no person could say with a straight mind that Lafayette Pitts or Saran Neal, for that matter, are better cornerbacks than Captain Munnerlin. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at the uh, special teams reps for the Vikings and Panthers the last couple of years and how much Munnerlin gets in there. He is a smaller guy, so that might not be his ideal scenario, but he obviously brings a lot more to the cornerback room and his versatility of playing nickel corner. Um, so I I'm going to assume that he's not going to make it yet, but I, I wouldn't be shocked there. Obviously McDermott likes him. And I, I know uh, in Matthew Fairburn's write up today, he had him in there that McDermott was actually kneeling down next to him for almost 15 minutes going through all the reads, the calls, you know, working legitimately to get him up to speed. And that that's not something McDermott normally does getting individual with one player like that. So obviously someone he kind of has a history and, and t- has taken a shining too yeah and that's what's so challenging for me with settling on the six which are the exact same six you have is i thought so hard about munnerlin but what made me settle on pits was obviously just a special teams upside and the thing is like they, the day there wasn't even a, like a gap in time that ej Gaines was placed on ir before they brought in captain munnerlin and it just led me to believe that they really want that versatile veteran as part of this mix. And it's funny to me because honestly, if there was a one, one position where you really, you like, you want EJ Gaines to be part of the mix. He's a good football player, but you're really comfortable with the depth chart, right? Like it wasn't, it's not that big of a loss. And with that in mind, they still immediately bring in captain Munderland, who is like an older version of him that doesn't get injured as much. And so, so I, I, I really thought about it, but yeah, I mean, Pitt's, the fact that he played so much special teams and was overlooked so much at corner last year, but they still brought him back. And it seems like he, at least for the Colts game, like you mentioned, I, I saw plenty of positive reps from him as well. That at least, like you said, it, break glass in case of emergency type corner, that he's going to have a, a place here. He was the primary punt gunner last year. And if he can really prove that he can play defense, it's going to make his case for a roster spot very, very uh, very much better. And so, look, I thought a lot, a lot about Munderland, but uh, it's tough. It's tough to say Pitts isn't going to be on this uh, on this roster. 
And with the magic of the internet, I was able to look up very quickly that uh, Captain Mundelein only played 3% of the special team snaps mm. with Heath Farwell as the assistant special teams coordinator there. Um, so, you know, again, I, I don't think either of us would try to make the argument that he's probably not a better corner than what Lafayette Pitts or even Saran Neal is, but that Neal and Pitts look to be pretty core elements of this special teams unit. And for now, I'll give that the tiebreaker. All right, safety, Hyde, Poyer, Jaquan Johnson, Kurt Coleman. Um, Hyde, Poyer are absolutely making the football team. Jaquan Johnson, a draft pick. He was pretty active in the Colts game. Nine tackles in one half. It's crazy. Dude, he's so physical. Like, that's that's been the thing. Like, even if you watch his tape in Miami, you realize you're not watching a great athlete, but, you know, or a very big player, but he just hits people. And, you know, in in a sub package role, in a special teams role, and, that's just going to matter. And he's, he's a big time leader. I mean, he's just kind of that exactly what you're looking for. Obviously a draft pick that, that certainly helps. And then Kirk Coleman, who is the primary backup safety right now. So those are the four. And I guess I'd be pretty surprised if you had it differently. I don't, I don't. And, and I did, I kind of hinted at it that I think you can afford to go for when you have guys like Saran Neal and Mo Alexander also on the roster and both guys who I expect to be game day active guys that, you know, if something does happen there, you have people with experience, you can rotate in to be able to jump in and, and contribute. Um, I, th- I think you saw Jaquan Johnson on a couple more of the special teams units as well. Um, I love Dean Marlowe. He's the kind of guy yeah. that, that I, you want to have there. He showed during the game. He's always in the right place and i think it's kind of sad similar to the christian wade scenario uh i our, our friend uh, bruce exclusive likes to bring up that he's kind of that bat phone guy for for sean mcdermott <laughs> that you know whether that's fair to him or not he's the kind of guy that can be on his couch on tuesday and you can call him up and activate him on saturday and he can play in the game on sunday um and that right wrong or indifferent i i feel like that's his path again and i feel bad for a guy who obviously works hard and deserves an earns a shot in the NFL, but I just, I don't see it on this roster. And, and that, that's a shame. A guy similar. We didn't even talk about Eddie Yarbrough when we talked about defensive ends, but yeah. very similar where I see those kind of guys out there and, you know, God bless them. If somebody else picks them up, I, I hope for their sake personally that they get a chance there, but I just don't see a path there. Um, and sadly he doesn't have any practice squad eligibility left. So um, I did put Abraham Wallace there just to have a body as a fifth safety in the practice room. But um, I think those top four are pretty lock solid now. Specialist, Greg, <laughs> Reed Ferguson, Stephen Hauschka, and some guy named Corey is the punter. Darn right. Do we need, uh, do we need to get into it? I mean, <laughs> um, well, I will say for, you, you know, you and I have both um, been very active in this and you've shared your concern and I've, I've certainly echoed that I've, I've been a little bit of a supporter from a Bahorquist standpoint, but obviously this game couldn't have been more more, you know, contrary with the two of them, um, and where they're at. So I will say for as concerned as we are, you know, Corey Carter unleashing a punt with 4.7 seconds of hang time is legit putting it 51 yards and being fair caught also a coffin corner being fair caught within the 10 yard line. You can't ask for a lot more than that. So now consistency is what matters. Can he do it right. again? Can he do it again? Can he do it again? But you know, his two game day reps were fantastic. And then uh, today in practice, he was the primary holder with Hauschka the whole time. So I think he's taken a definitive step forward and I wouldn't be shocked if we see someone else different come in to compete with Corey Carter and that, you know, I don't know that I expect 
Corey Bohorquez to get released and replaced as a, a different competitor. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a different name come in. If Certainly if we see another game like that this week against Carolina where it's just three shanks and Carter does his job, I, I think that you may have to work on some kind of replacement like that. Yeah, I mean, look, we've only seen Corey Carter punt like three times ever in a game, right? The ACL there and then the two against the Colts. Um, so I wish there was like just more to evaluate from. Sure. But I round round one goes to Carter and I guess we'll see if, if it I mean, if it's another repeat of that. I mean, I think you're going to see Carter be the guy and really start to develop that chemistry as the holder, along with Ferguson and Hauschka on field goals. Greg, this was fun. Uh, the people should know that we're going to be spending some time together this week. Uh, we'll both be at the joint practices in Spartanburg between the Bills and Panthers, and so we talked a little bit. We'll try to maybe get some video content for the people and certainly looking forward to uh, syncing up with you there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. You do. I mean, granted, the, the games are what matter in the regular season, but I'll say during the training camp, seeing those joint practices and that length of time of those kind of reps over and over again is about the most valuable uh, film and evaluation and, and visibility you're going to get. So I'm really excited about that. I know that uh, we're both going to enjoy that and try to bring as much as we can to the fans and, and looking forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. At Greg Thompson is the spot to follow Greg on Twitter. Again, he's the co-host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast. You can share, subscribe, rate, and review that podcast uh, exactly in the same places that you listen to this one. So make sure that uh, you are checking the Cover One Buffalo podcast out as well. Let me tell you about the rest of the week. Tuesday, we're going to do Twitter Tuesday like normal. Have a lot to get into there already, but it's not too late to get yours in. Uh, again, it's Twitter Tuesday is the hashtag at the Joe Marino. You can also send me an email, Joe at the draft network.com. Uh, we have some time. So if you get those in early on Monday, we'll get that in the Tuesday show for you. Uh, on the Wednesday and Thursday show, we're going to react to the joint practices uh, from Tuesday and Wednesday. And then obviously we're going to preview the game against the Panthers uh, for Friday. And I'll be back again for you on Saturday to recap the football game against the Carolina Panthers. I'm not going to make you wait until Monday to hear my reaction. And I certainly don't want to wait that long to, to share it with you. So we'll get you six podcasts this week. And I could not be more excited for it uh, until next time. Thanks so much for listening to lockdown bills.